Are you ready to go off script? Let's see how the Bible challenges the roles the world has written for us. On January 27th, 2017, President Trump issued Executive Order 13769 called Protecting the Nation from Foreign Terrorist Entry into the United States, in which he banned all immigration from seven countries, including Iran, Iraq, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, and Yemen. This unpopular order caused much controversy throughout the United States and led to significant litigation delaying its implementation. Much of the president's motivation for this order, as you could tell by the title, is to protect Americans from terrorists posing as refugees. In this episode, we look at a few significant biblical passages on sojourners, otherwise called immigrants, and attempt to stake out a Christian position on this subject. Whether you are for or against immigration, this episode should help you think through your position from a distinctly Christian perspective. At least that's our hope. Here now is Offscript episode 28, Seeking a Christian View on Refugees and Immigrants. Hello and welcome to Offscript. This is Dan Fitzsimmons. Today we will be talking about immigration. In the preceding few weeks, uh, immigration has been a pretty hot topic here in the U.S. and it was sort of touched off by the election of President Donald Trump soon after he got into office. Um, in late January, he instituted a um, executive order on travel, which banned Syrian refugees indefinitely. And as you know, there's been a six-year civil war in Syria. And it also suspended entry for residents of predominantly Muslim countries. These include Iran, Iraq, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, and Yemen. The order was blocked by the courts, and then a new order replaced it. I believe the new order has some legal issues surrounding it as well. But how do we think about what our attitude is towards immigration, what our attitude is towards refugees, towards people fleeing war, what our response is as Christians to those who are seeking to come to our country? And it's a very fraught issue. I mean, if everyone has their political platform that they're viewing this from, and lining those up with the word can be tough. And so we just wanted to get into that today, talk a little bit about it, hash it out. And that's what we'll be doing today. I have a real hesitancy to talk about this sort of an issue because I know how polarized people are, especially Christians. And because of my Anabaptist angle on political engagement, I often feel inept discussing what country X or country Y should do as far as their non-Christian citizens in general. So I, I, I typically hesitate to um, offer political advice or recommended policy. However, as a Christian, obviously I do have moral commitments. And when the Bible is clear on something, I believe that I should be clear on it. And when it's a confusing issue that is not clearly explained in Scripture, then I feel like there is a lot of gray area where you can develop a position and weigh the pros and the cons and, and, and all that. But when it comes to something like refugees or foreigners, immigrants, strangers, there is clear guidance in Scripture, and 
so I want to just start by bringing that up, and then we can sort of get into the more nitty-gritty of how this affects us in our own time and place. But this is an issue that in, in my part of the world and in my lifetime, I haven't thought much about, to be honest. It's just not something that I debated with my friends or was a hot topic. Mm. And, that, and now it is, and, it's, and everyone's taking a position on it, and there are different sides. But let's, let's just start with what the Scripture says. It says in the Bible, in Exodus 23, verse 9, you shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. As far as I understand it, a sojourner is a foreigner who's living in your land. We would call this a resident alien, maybe, or a, what do you call that? Just just an immigrant in general. Mm-hmm. Um, whether, and this doesn't specify legal or illegal, I don't, I don't think they had ways of thinking about it that way in those times, because like people would just cross the border and now they're a sojourner. So mm-hmm. there wasn't uh, customs enforcement or anything like that. But it's interesting what, what God says here is that his people should know the heart of a sojourner because they were sojourners in the land of Egypt. And he's like, therefore, don't oppress a sojourner. Sojourners, foreigners, immigrants are often very vulnerable people mm-hmm. because they're not as familiar with the language, the culture, and the work options. And so you can hire a, a foreigner, and then as now, and pay them less than what the work is really worth and they won't know. Right, you can exploit them. You can exploit them. And so what God's saying here in Exodus 23, 9 is don't do that. Don't mm-hmm. oppress them. Don't exploit them. It's also very easy to ostracize them. Right. Cut them out of society. They're different. They're strange. Even in ancient Israel, it would be very easy to say, oh, they're an idol worshiper and come across as holy. But to prevent that and really to open up the covenant that God had with Israel to the foreigners, these verses are in there to treat the, the foreigners the way um, they wish they maybe could have been treated in, in Egypt. Yeah, it's a fascinating point because so much of the law of Moses, so much of Torah is focused on separation. Mm-hmm. So much of Leviticus, for example, is focused on separation. To not be the same as the nations, to not get involved with idol worship and all this. And yet, we read in Leviticus 19.33, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh your God. And I love how God says that. It's like, that's why I said so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's of note here is that he says to treat a sojourner, to treat an immigrant or a refugee or whatever kind of foreigner it is, as a native treat them like your own people Mm -hmm. and these people presumably would be idol worshipers now idol worshiping is extremely offensive to ancient israel Mm -hmm. well it should have been (laughs) so they would not be allowed to practice that sort of worship in the land of israel but they still treat them as like your own people so it's like the doors open for you to come into our community and to be one of us but there's also a limitation on, especially as far as that that covenant worked, that they wouldn't be allowed to go worship Asherah out on the mountain. That would have been unacceptable. So it's really interesting because you have you have examples as like uh, Rahab, you have Ruth, right, where like they come in, but once they come in, they become one with the people. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that has to do with how God's covenant worked with Israel 
it was based on a certain geography, a certain people group, and these various obligations that they had to God and that God had to them, which I think for us, we have to recognize that there is a difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The New Covenant mm-hmm. is very international, very global-minded. You know, so I think we have to take that into consideration. But even so, when it was supranational, super isolationist, God still said, don't oppress the sojourner. He still said, treat them like a native. And it says, love them as yourself. Yeah, Deuteronomy 10, 18 through 19, also, it uses the L word twice, love. Um, it says, he, God, defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you. That's crazy. Giving them food and clothing, and you are to love those who are foreigners. Again, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Um, with all of the emphasis that the law does put, as you said, on separation, on holiness, on keeping yourself pure and untainted from the people around you. It was verses like this, I think, that drove the prophet Jonah to realize in advance that, you know, in his point of view, him going to preach judgment on Nineveh was was kind of a farce. He knew that God was going to have mercy on them. And it was little verses, um, I believe, here that showing um, that although God has a chosen people, that he also can love the foreigner residing among them. He got a, a peek into the heart of God, knowing that he was desirous of people outside Israel also following him. For some people listening to this, they're going to approach it from what they feel is a more practical point of view of, you know, if we let all these people into our country, it's going to be a drain on resources, crime's going to go up. There's all sorts of, you know, what I believe to be misconceptions, specifically the, the crime thing. I don't think the data bears that out. And I think as a Christian, it's important to subordinate your political views to what the Bible says as tough as that might be. I mean, you know, we have people in our church who are very political, who are very engaged in current events. And I might fall into that to a certain degree, but I always have to, you always have to check yourself of, you may feel a certain way about abortion or any of these hot button issues, immigration, but it's really important to look at, look at what the Bible says and know that this isn't our ultimate destination this country that we have. You can love your country. You can be a citizen. That's all well and good, but really our citizenship is in heaven. And our constitution, our true constitution is the Bible. It's not the constitution of the United States. It's Mm -hmm. the Bible. When we do come into the kingdom, none of us are going to look back and say, I wish I was more nationalistic. I wish I was more patriotic Mm -hmm. for America. I think some of us will have our perspectives widened in that moment and wish we had been better kingdom citizens while we were considered ourselves Americans. Yeah, and that's, that's a big part of Christianity is this whole idea of calling people from other nations brother and sister. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really does cut through certain excesses of nationalism Mm -hmm. that we humans are prone to. Uh, I just want to share one more verse. This is from Ezekiel forty-seven twenty-one. So you shall divide this land among you according to the tribes of Israel. You shall allot it as an inheritance for yourselves and for the sojourners who reside among you and have had children among you. They shall be to you as native-born children of Israel. With you they shall be allotted an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. In whatever tribe the sojourner resides, there you shall assign him his inheritance, declares the Lord God. Now, I realize this part of Ezekiel is kind of debated as far as what time it refers to. I generally take it as eschatological, end times-related material here. But regardless of if it applied to something in the past or something in the future, the heart is 
that sojourners would be absorbed into the people of Israel once again, and that their children would be considered full Israelites. Mm -hmm. And this is a very gracious attitude. Most, I, I don't think very many ethnicities or people groups over the centuries, over the millennia, have had this mindset. I mean, we're used to this in America because America's melting pot, it's, it's a nation of immigrants and mm -hmm. all that. But most places are much more homogeneous than mm -hmm. America is. I mean, you think about Mexico, it's, it's much more homogeneous than America. Or you think of the Icelandic countries. Pretty much any country. Right. Mm -hmm. they, they have, you know, people look a certain way and like there might be some foreigners or, or immigrants or whatever, but they're, they're a tiny minority. But it's, it's like we're all... The, I mean, technically, everybody's an immigrant anyhow. <laughs> in, in, in the room that we do the podcast, there's a big world map here, and I'm looking at all the borders, and every single one of them are man-made. Have you guys heard of the um, churches that are basically sanctuary churches where immigrants... Uh, now or in the past? Now, today, like because of this there, executive order. 99% of Visible did a uh, two-part series on the uh, sanctuary movement, which happened in the southern southwestern states like bordering mexico in i think the 80s where there was all of this unrest in central america and a lot of these people from el salvador were co going through mexico and then into the united right. states and there were all these churches a full network it was like an underground railroad of yeah. churches called sanctuaries and they were from all these different denominations and they would cross people over the border illegally give them harbor in the churches and then get them out through their network of other Christians to places far away from the border, like full states away. Right. Mm -hmm. And this went on for years and years. And then eventually America would not grant them uh, refugee status. And they, they sent in, it's just unbelievable. They sent in like spies to this church network posing as right do-gooders that wanted to help the immigrants oh the government is known for do they infiltrate everything <laughs> from black panthers to legit greenpeace groups who po don't pose any kind of threat yeah so and then um they they eventually arrested like pastors and and brought them to trial and in the trial they wouldn't let them say certain words or speak about certain ideas so basically they limited so many things that they could say in the trial that there this was... This is in the U.S.? Yeah. There was basically no defense they could make at all. And so... Sounds like a kangaroo court. Yeah. 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 So they, got, they ended up getting found guilty. There was... And, and like they had a solid case. It was clear that these people are refugees and should be granted refugee status and that America should accept them. But America was insisting that these people were just here as migrant workers. And it's like America is currently fighting in this country, yeah. Did you know what was causing going on the problem in El Salvador in the eighties. Like, and mm -hmm. today, I mean, it's still a, it's still a gang wars in El Salvador. I mean, it's one of the right. most dangerous places on earth. So they, what ended up happening is they were brought to trial and they were severely limited in what they could actually defend themselves using uh, what kinds of uh, terms and words and stuff. And then uh, they were all found guilty, but then the punishment was super mild. It was like just community service or something like that. Okay. So it was, it was like a way to like set a precedent and to try to come against something, but without like really making anybody suffer in the end. Yeah, I mean, it, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but it is a fascinating chapter in American history that I certainly never learned about in any of my like Christian schools or in my secular yeah. education. Mm. So this, that, what you're saying is probably similar to that. 
Yeah, the same thing is going on today. Maybe not on that scale, but you have churches in the U.S. who are now uh, immigrants go there and they live there. And there's a federal policy that was, um, I believe, clarified under the Obama administration that says, you know, we're not going to carry out enforcement actions in what they called sensitive locations, churches, mm-hmm. community groups, these civic sort of organizations. And as far as I know, that policy is still in effect under under the Trump administration. So what you have is basically the uh, immigrants finding their way to these churches. It started with a woman named um, Jeanette Vizguera, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it was a direct reaction to Trump's first executive order on on immigration and what you you what you essentially have is all of the illegal immigrants in the united states are so fearful of getting rounded up that they're sort of marginalizing themselves if a crime if they're a victim of a crime they're not going to the police mm-hmm. if they you know if they get stopped pulled over by a you know normal cop they're afraid that you know they're going to ask their immigration status and and so All of this tension led this woman to this church in Colorado, I believe in, I think it was February. She was seeking to avoid deportation from the United States. And these churches are basically breaking the law, but they're, they're saying, you know, what we're, what we're talking about, that, that the Bible, that the way that the Bible addresses this issue supersedes for our, for our faith supersedes the laws of the land. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think it's probably the most real world example of the idea that, of that idea that you're to follow the Bible at any cost, even if that means you're breaking the laws of man. What, what's that um, record in, is it Acts? Mm-hmm. Where Rather Peter, by God than man. Yeah. Is that Peter? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really interesting and, and for me heartening to see that these churches are, are taking this stance. And it's not super widespread, but it's definitely happening and it's made the news. And I encourage you guys to, uh, to check it out. NPR is a good story about it. I uh, looked up the sanctuary movement in Wikipedia, and this is referring to the one from the 80s, and it says that this was, at its peak, over 500 congregations in the United States declared themselves official sanctuaries, and they committed to provide shelter, material goods, and legal advice to Central American refugees. And they list the uh, kinds of congregations. is Lutheran, United Church of Christ, Roman Catholics, Presbyterians, Methodists, Baptists, Jews, Unitarian Universalists, Quakers, and Mennonites. I mean, that's like mm. the, the most disparate list you <laughs> yeah. can think of. I mean, these you probably couldn't get any of these groups to agree on anything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as far as the Old Testament at least goes, like they're all reading the same Bible, mm-hmm. you yeah. know? And mm-hmm. those verses that I read earlier are in all the, the various groups here, their Bibles. So, uh, and then, of course, before that, the original sanctuary movement in this country is the Underground Railroad, right. run, run and operated by the Quakers primarily, other Christians too. And, of course, Christians were on both sides of that issue. There were a lot of Christian plantation owners, slave owners, that would, would say slavery is, is in the Bible and, and, and you, shouldn't, you shouldn't run away. Then you have other Christians that are like, hey, it's wrong, and it, I'm going to help you run away. So... Like we we've already kind of struggled with this as Christians in the past. I don't know anyone that sides on the uh, the old slave owning <laughs> position uh, to this day. Um, but uh, and city, cities are facing the same thing. There's a, this is a federal state issue as well. There's um, what's known as sanctuary cities. So neat places like New York, San Francisco, who have directed their um, local law enforcement, like the NYPD or San Francisco PD, to not partake in any kind of 
immigration action. So if they're stopping somebody for possession of marijuana, they're not asking them about their citizenship. The federal government has actually threatened to cut off aid to federal aid to these cities based on their stance on this issue. So New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, he sent an order to the NYPD that um, basically tells them to keep Immigrations and Customs Enforcement agents, which are federal agents, um, off school grounds unless they have a warrant. So if you're an ICE agent, you're not allowed to barge into a, you know, an elementary school or, or wherever. And he told his municipal police force in New York to actually stop this, to like prevent this. So what you essentially have is a state sort of revolting against the federal government on this issue in a few states in the country. Let's talk about the other side a little bit, because I'm sure there are some folks listening who are anti-immigration. I want to separate out... Don't say anti-immigration. What? To say, like, anti-immigration sounds like really, really mean. Anti-illegal immigration. I, I don't know what to call it. It's just, like, like, who are maybe, say, like, more hesitant or whatever. Who, who are uncomfortable with immigration. I want to see if I can divide out three categories and see if you guys... Uh, agree that these categories are distinct distinct and we're talking about one is legal immigrants these are people that went through the proper channels and are here legally maybe they um, retain their ethnic identity their culture maybe even their language to some degree but they're here legally then you have category two which is illegal immigrants these are people who have snuck into the country somehow, either from a ship or crossing the border or plane, whatever. Like they somehow they they've snuck into the country, and they are illegal immigrants. Okay, and then the third category would be refugees. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as I understand it, a refugee is somebody who can't go home, as opposed to an illegal immigrant. A legal immigrant is is somebody that's that gets into the country. I mean, they could go home, but they'd rather be here. Well, I think the definition of, as I understand it, of a refugee is somebody that had they stayed in their country of origin, their life would be at serious risk. Right. Okay. So they go to the neighboring country or in the case of Syria, I believe that there's a lot of refugee camps on the border with Turkey. Mm-hmm. And Jordan too. And Jordan. Mm-hmm. And Lebanon. So, and then from there, based on, you know, what country can can place them or is willing to place them you know they, they move to to those respective countries right so a refugee then could be somebody who is a legal uh resident alien or not yeah you know what i mean so like i know someone who was a refugee and then they were granted citizenship mm-hmm. okay and they're a refugee who's here legally it's asylum asylum mm-hmm. political asylum or whatever yeah. Or religious asylum, and then uh, then there are other people who who are illegal immigrants, but because of a refugee s- situation, yeah, and maybe they apply for refugee status, but then they're rejected, so they're they're illegals, but they're refugees. Mm-hmm. So, but I I want to kind of like keep that refugee as a separate category because if you're coming to an, another country because you are looking for a better life, you're looking for work. Look, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna fault you for that, but if you get caught. And they send you back. I mean, that's kind of fair if you think about it. But if they're sending, like this thing with El Salvador in the 80s, they sent people back. And then when they got back, they were executed. Yeah. Mm. That's a whole nother ballgame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
if you reject their asylum application or whatever, you send them back to their country of origin and they die. I mean, that's you, you, you had a hand in that and there's no yeah, way around that. Complicit. Yeah. And in the case of Syria, I mean, you had people who were willing to cross the Mediterranean, an incredibly dangerous trip where hundreds and hundreds of people drowned. Mm-hmm. How could you not have compassion on these people who, who literally, they're not trying to take your, your job. Mm-hmm. They're trying to protect their families and save their lives and they're taking these incredible risks to do so. On the other side of that, it's easy for me to say because I'm not directly impacted by that. They're not camping out in my front yard. Mm-hmm. But if my taxes went up by, you know, 2 or 3%, whatever it was, to provide for these people, that that I would be okay with that and that God would be blessing that situation. God, God would look kindly upon that, saying, here I have all this abundance and these people are fleeing for their lives. I can do my part as a Christian to welcome them to provide whatever assistance I can. There was a story in the Washington Post recently that was just blew my mind. It was so it was such a it was such a good example and such a good testament of the Christian church. This family from Syria relocated to Lancaster, Pennsylvania and didn't speak a lick of English, you know, straight off the boat. It's a, a husband and wife and I believe uh, four kids, all pretty young. And they moved to Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and there was a group of Mennonites there who not only welcomed them into their community, but helped them with housing, brought meals over, introduced them around town, learned their language. These people, these Mennonites learned their language so that they could converse with, with the Syrians. And this is a quote from a Washington Post article about this. Um, The headline of the article, if you want to look it up, is called... uh, now they live in the light, colon. A Syrian refugee family finds only love and compassion in America. And one of the Mennonites said of this issue, when I see refugees now being shut off like that, I think, how on earth can we be so hard-hearted? Said Harley Cooker, who first worked with refugees in Vietnam as a conscientious objector to the war. And then he continues, I was always taught that we love whoever, regardless of ethnicity, race, religion. You know, that's who my Jesus is. That's what my Jesus taught. Well, of course, uh, Jesus himself was a refugee. So many people in the Bible were refugees. We realize if you go back and read the Eden account, the entire human race um, is a refugee, displaced people group, if you will, out of Eden. Many of the patriarchs were refugees um, at some point in their life. Um, We know the entire nation of, well, mostly the entire nation of Israel was also displaced, carried into two different captivities. Christ was also, when uh, when he was very young, um, his, as his parents fled from Herod's just rampage um, to pogrom, yeah, to kill the um, to kill the young boys in Bethlehem, they fled to Egypt. Mm. Um, thank God, whatever policy they had in Egypt, that they were able to stay there until the death of Herod. Um, that the Messiah himself, as a refugee, was preserved. So, well, as Christians, we're, we we owe a debt of gratitude to Egypt's open immigration policy of 2000 years <laughs> totally. ago. Well, many times over, Abraham fled to Egypt, yeah. Israel fled to Egypt. Um, you like know, it was a type of Christ. <laughs> Jesus fled to Egypt. That's where you would go so many times. And then later you weren't supposed to flee to Egypt after the captivity people went to Egypt and they weren't supposed to. Right. But- so the the bottom line is that Jesus teaches us to love in a radical way. He teaches mm-hmm. us to love our enemies. How much more to love people that are fleeing war? 
And I realize many of us will not be able to enact political change in and of ourselves. This is, you know, we've we've elected um, who we've elected and the government will do what it's going to do. But on an individual level, many of us will never get the opportunity to go and be missionaries to Syria. When people come here as a refugee or as a pseudo-refugee, when we encounter those people, we do have an opportunity um, to, to spread the gospel to people who desperately need it, to people who maybe can never go back to their homeland. You have the opportunity um, to go to to a diverse people group, to someone who has a radically different background than yours, to give the gift of life to someone who may never have heard about that before. We know for the Syrian refugees that are coming here, the vast majority of them are Muslims. Tiny fraction was Christian. These may be people who that is all they have known their entire life, and coming to the culture here is weird and it might be threatening, but among the um, the culture shock and everything, some of the best things that we can present to them is the hope that we have in Christ. Well said. And there are many um, different groups and organizations in many different cities. There are places where refugees tend to be more highly settled um, than others, but most urban areas will have something like that. Maybe not Syria, but there will normally be a program in some area. You can give of your possessions. You can give of your time. You can go even if you're not good enough or you think to, uh, to teach English, you can go in and help them set up a bank account. Um, there are very many things. And you don't have to give um, a ton of hours, but you can go be participating in these events, get to know families, mentor families. You can go out and, and really open your arms and welcome, and then especially that is more powerful to couple it, it with the love of the gospel and the mission that we have to spread Christ. Yeah, Christians are very active in... Eastern Europe and throughout the Syrian refugee crisis. It's not just Syria, it's Afghanistan, it's mm-hmm. Iraq, these other countries as well. And I listened to a, a really good interview on the Table podcast with Daryl Bach. Uh, he interviewed a man named Jeff Palmer, who works with refugees directly. And the whole Christian versus Muslim perspective really is hard to f- to harden your heart to someone who's opening their heart to you. Mm-hmm. Yes. And when a Christian stands there and says, because of Christ, mm-hmm. and they hand you a clean bottle of water or some sort of like temporary help, whether it's like a tent or some sanitary uh, items. And one of the things that they're handing out to people are these cell phones, like very rudimentary cell phones, with just, uh, but they have the Bible on them. Mm. And these people, they probably don't really have a position on Christianity. They were raised in a Muslim world. Mm-hmm. They heard Christians. Maybe they heard something about Christians. Who knows? But like now they have the Bible on a phone that a Christian gave them. And, and the Christian is not saying, you must read this Bible. You must convert. They're just like, hey, this is what motivates me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's available if you want. And it's in their own language, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not in English. I think many people, especially from the eastern side of the world, are acquainted with a stereotype of the, um, you know, the free, consumerist, egocentric Westerner. I think that's what they're coming to expect, a land of great consumerism and great excess. Um, And Christianity is probably rolled into all of that. And we have the opportunity, um, especially if you meet someone who's relatively new to this country, we have the opportunity to help redraw that picture and really uh, differentiate Christ from the culture as he should be. So this, just one more note on this guy, Jeff Palmer. He is the executive director of Baptist Global Response. That's the organization that deals with relief 
in this current crisis and they're doing 350 to 400 projects per year in 65 to 70 different countries i mean now here's an organization that probably none of us ever heard of but it's out there and it's doing this work Mm -hmm. like we hear about the red cross right you might hear about world vision that's Mm -hmm. that's another big one but uh or compassion international they focus mostly on children not really immigration relief but like there are christian groups out there doing this work and they're not fussing about the policy or the politics. Yeah. They're just like, look, people are in need. I'll go send me. Yeah. And they and people support them and they go and and they and they do the Jesus kind of thing in a Jesus kind of way. And w- what does the Bible teach us over and over again? It teaches us radical hospitality. Mm-hmm. And by radical I mean risky. Inviting in the homeless person, inviting in the the enemy. And obviously there's there's got to be some sort of like balance between like your responsibility to provide a safe place, especially if you have children. Mm. You know, like I'm not going to invite a child molester to come sleep over my house, but mm-hmm. I would love to share the gospel with a child molester and go out to eat with him or her because that's a person for whom Christ died. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think you can you you can have some limits on on, on what, what availability you have as far as hospitality goes but it's much more radical than just like people that look like you mm-hmm. or speak your language or think in or like apple pie in the super bowl you know i mean even if the person is not a christian like in the story you were referring to dan they were muslim they were muslim mm-hmm. and the group was christian and they still showed that radical hospitality and and, and look that is a powerful way to show people Christ. Yes. Mm-hmm. And as you said earlier, it's very hard to have harsh feelings towards somebody that's opening themselves up to you. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite images from the um, 2011 Arab Spring. Yeah. yeah that's what it's called. <laughs> I, I think it happened 20... Anyway, this photo was taken in 2011 in Cairo, Egypt, and there were a bunch of protesters in Tahrir Square, and they were clashing with, with police, and Muslims pray five five times a day, as you know. So during one of these times when, you know, dozens of Muslims were, were praying, they were vulnerable to, you know, attack from either police or other, you know, political people that disagreed with them. And a group of Christians surrounded them as they were praying, held hands and protected them. Mm-hmm. It's online. Wow. Uh, you, can, you can check out the photo. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. just such a cool testament to this is two different faiths, two different belief systems, but it doesn't change the fact that we're called to love. Mm-hmm. Let's deal with some of the objections against immigration as mm-hmm. far as uh, the, the one that you hear a lot these days. I mean, other than the typical ones about, oh, they're taking all the jobs and all that. Uh, the one we hear a lot these days is, okay, what if there's a terrorist that's sneaking in using the refugee situation as a way to um, disguise themselves? How do, we, how do we respond to that? That's probably going to happen. Here, I mean, <laughs> here or there, that's probably going to happen. But by closing either our doors or closing ourselves off, we also can be having an enormous negative impact on people by leaving them to Syria or, you know, whatever's going on in their homeland. We leave them to that. We leave them to terror ourselves. If we don't open up hope to them, that's what we give to so many and yes terrorists can come in here and terrorists will come in regardless of our refugee policy a few more might come in as a result of having a more cons- or a more um more open one but by not giving them a way out 
we let that terror continue to the people who are living in it and we let that become the norm. I think if our goal is to stop terror, we have to give people a way out primarily. And then literally, if we do outreach properly, who knows, we might encounter would-be terrorists coming into this country. We might have the opportunity to show them a Christ that changes their mind when they see authentic Christianity is not just, um, you know, some Western evil of consumerism and excess. Yeah, I think that viewpoint is really reductionist. You're going to stop thousands of people from coming into the country fleeing for their lives on the chance that one of these or two of these or three of these will be terrorists who will who will launch an attack on, on U.S. soil. Here's the thing. Dylan Roof was a white guy mm-hmm. who walked into a black church and shot a bunch of people. That's a domestic terrorist. There are other cases like that happening in other countries, in France, even in Great Britain recently. You're not going to stop somebody from getting into a Mack truck and running through a crowd of mm-hmm. people. Right. Yeah. So to say as a basis for limiting refugees or immigrants, whatever, that risk is going to be there regardless of, mm-hmm. of whether you limit foreigners coming into the country. But if you enact such a policy on that basis, what you're essentially doing is causing thousands of people to be unsafe, to if you're not letting them into your country, you're denying them, them that opportunity based on your own fear. That's why they can't come into this country. If, yeah. if you're a lawmaker, that's why, and, and, and you have this position, you're stopping people from saving their own lives based on your own fear. And how does that make you feel as a person? You know, like, think about that. Think about this guy who's trying to save his family, and because you're afraid that somebody from his faith might launch a terror attack, mm-hmm. you're preventing his family from being safe. Close the door on him. This reminds me so much of... The parable Jesus told about the Good Samaritan. Mm. Uh, One of the Mm. interesting points that you have to sort of know a little bit about the history of the situation to bring out is that that road in that parable was a treacherous road. Mm -hmm. And it it was a road that was sometimes dangers lurked in these shallow caves along the road where bandits would rob you. Okay? And... If you see a guy wounded on the side of the road, I think most of us read this parable and say, okay, I shouldn't just pass him by because I'm so busy. I shouldn't just pass him by because of ethnic or religious pride, right? Like the priest and the Levite. Mm. But there's also the element, and Martin Luther King Jr. brought this out when he talked about the parable. There's also this element of danger. I don't want to help this guy in case I get jumped because somebody jumped him. That was the whole story. Right? They robbed him. They wounded him. They took his clothes. They left him half dead. So there are bad guys afoot. There are bandits somewhere nearby. We don't know where they are. And this guy could be faking it. He could be lying there as if injured. And the bandits could be just out of sight and jump on you as soon as you go to help. Right? That's exactly the immigration fear issue. We don't want to help the person in need because. What if I get attacked as a result? What if, mm-hmm. and you know what? What if a meteorite hits your house? What if a million things happen? What if, what if you're in a car accident? I don't know, like th- this is just the crazy world we live in. Mm-hmm. We take chances every day. We, we don't live on the basis of the fear. We don't make decisions on the basis of the fear. We don't make decisions on the basis of the off chance that if I go outside today, lightning may strike me, right? Who, who plans like that? You don't. What you do is you do the right thing because you believe in it. It's either from God or it's, it's, or it's been proven, right? And so in this case, this is something directly from the Son of God. He mm-hmm. says 
This is what it means to love your neighbor as, as yourself. That was the question they asked him. The question was, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus is like, well, there was a man on his way down to Jericho, and he fell among thieves, right? And so he said to him, who was neighbor to the man who was, who was wounded? He said, well, the Samaritan was, mm -hmm. even though they all hated Samaritans, even though the Samaritan was the terrorist. We don't want to be pushed around by fear so that we become the Levite and the priest who cross by on the other side, harden our hearts to the one in need. We want to be like Jesus. And you know what? If you are like Jesus, sometimes you get killed. Yeah, and it never says in the Bible that you're not going to get burned. I mean, yeah. it says in Isaiah that Jesus went like a lamb to the slaughter. He knew what was happening when he was turned in by Judas. Yeah. And he went anyway because that was, that was what the plan was. That was. That's what God directed him to do. And God directs us to love radically. And mm -hmm. there's no caveat there unless you feel that it's unsafe, mm -hmm. that it just doesn't exist in the Bible. You do run a bit of a risk, obviously, letting people in, but the risk that they that a real refugee faces in their home country is astronomical compared yeah. to what we face by letting them into the country. Yeah. It can seem like a very complex issue, but it, it's true. I mean, you read the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus simplifies it, and I think we are all able to, to see um, the similarities and the analogy and apply it to our situation today. And I, I don't think any of us would disagree with vetting refugees as well as you can. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you make the process so onerous that nobody can ever actually get through it, then obviously that's too, that's too stringent. But looking into people, checking watch lists, I mean, being smart about it. We're not saying just like fling wide the, the door and, you know, there's a, there's a guy w w who's got uh, some bulky clothes on because he's got a, obviously like a bomb under his <laughs> garment. Like, oh yeah, come right in here. Don't No need for the metal detector. Like, I mean, you want to be smart with it, but at oh, the yeah. same time, I think we can open our heart to the, the refugee. Honestly, I don't even think you have to be a Christian to do it. I think all you have to do is apply mm -hmm. the principle of thinking about something from the perspective of someone else. In other words, like walking a mile in their shoes. Like, just mm -hmm. imagine what it would be like if, if your whole country turned to crap and people are killing other people, bombs are dropping out of the sky. You don't know if it's from America, Russia, Assad, ISIS. All you know is that the elementary school that your kid goes to is blown up. And so what are you going to do? You're going to sit in your house while bombs are flying, or are you going to pack up the family and go somewhere? That's what you do, mm -hmm. right? So we've talked a lot about <laughs> refugees, and we started to talk about the uh, objections to, immig to immigration. I think that's what, at the top, we, t we talked about the executive order on travel. That mainly was, was about refugees. Um, but immigration, I mean, building the wall, as uh, President Trump has, has called it. We talked about the, the objection of, you know, allowing refugees in. What if there's, you know, a wolf among the sheep? But just, you know, terrorism aside, uh, how do we as Christians address immigration, do you think? How do, we, how do we think about it? Well, I think a lot of times legislation follows a culture. And certainly not always, always the case, but I think, I think we can be agents for having good conversations with people that have a different point of view. Sadly, I think a lot of the anti-immigration people are Christians themselves. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I think we can have conversation. I think we can show people these verses. I mean, look, this is not an issue where... We're guessing. This is not like some like fancy new biotech, medical, cutting edge, nano 
issue where like there's no clear insight from the Bible what to do. All right, this is an issue that was there in the ancient times, and it's still there today. Mm-hmm. Ironically, in the same part of the world. So yeah. there's clear scripture on this to, that you're supposed to open your house to the sojourner. That you're supposed to open your heart to them. That's actually what it says. It's beyond just like helping them. It's actually treating them like a, a countryman. Like so a, you can superimpose the word immigrant on sojourner in that verse. Yeah, I don't yeah. think based on your understanding difference. of the Bible. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's someone who's from somewhere else. Right. Yeah. And, and I think it would include illegal as well as legal. Now, I know America obviously needs to have some limitation on immigration so the country doesn't just turn into completely overpopulated and all the systems fail. Okay. I don't know where that line is. And that's where I don't want to get in, mm-hmm. I- involved in the politics as far as like trying, trying to argue for a specific line. My heart is more towards the refugee and towards what I can do myself if I encounter such a person. Right. The individual. Mm-hmm. The individual. Uh, I'm not smart enough to figure out the policy. I'm, mm-hmm. just, I'm just not. And I don't have the background or the education to know the complexities of how lawyers make laws. Mm-hmm. But I think as a Christian, there's a heart here. A heart towards the foreigner. Mm-hmm. And a lot of Christians, a lot of us, what we do is we see the foreigner, let's say we're in the mall or the marketplace, whatever, we see the foreigner and what do we say? They're speaking their language. Why don't they assimilate? Yep. And we and we catch an attitude, right? Instead of instead of saying, Wow, it must be really hard being in a foreign land and not knowing the language mm-hmm. and having all of us Americans dealing with people yeah. like me yeah. <laughs> must be really hard dealing with people like me <laughs> so, so i think there i think there's just like a general posture of the heart yes there's towards people and and with everything we are called to be evangelistic jesus gave the church the great commission mm-hmm. make yeah. disciples of all nations look if a nation is actually coming into our world then that it may, we should be happy like hey I don't have to go there. I can follow. I can follow the Great Commission yeah. in this country because they're they're already here. Speaking of like Stan and Pam Chi, who operate in uh, the University of Toronto and they run a, a ministry to uh, Chinese um, students there, what they say is that they're like dying to have American friends, mm. the Chinese students that they work with, mm-hmm. because they're, they're, like they come to this country and, they, and it's so hard to navigate the culture and the and, and this is in Canada where people are all friendly. So ostensibly <laughs> good Canadian joke there. Um, but uh, still it's very, it's very difficult. You know, they speak with a, with a thick accent and they don't know what Americans even do for fun. A lot of times other than maybe some movies that they've seen that are wildly out of touch with reality. <laughs> and so like all, all like Sam Pam have to do a lot of times, just like make an introduction and be like, Hey, we, we we're having this Bible study and they're like, what's the Bible? It's like, it's about Jesus. So, Who's Jesus? Is that an American thing? Is that a Canadian thing? What is that? Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and they're and they're like, well, why don't you come and see? And and they they bring these these immigrants into. Well, I guess they wouldn't be technically immigrants. They would be uh, foreign exchange students. Student visa holders into these Bible studies, yeah. and they're introducing them to the God of the Bible and to His Son. And and these people are just like they've never heard it before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So I mean, that's a whole other angle on this whole thing. So. Yeah. I, I don't know where that leaves us as far as well, policy. I just wanted to, you know, because like you said, Sean, a lot of Christians are anti-immigration. I mean, mm-hmm. and a lot of people co-opt the Bible in support of that stance. And 
a lot of people claim to be Christians and they hold signs um, in rallies and supporting all, all sorts of things that I don't think the Bible calls us to engage politically on that level. And, you know, we're getting into this Anabaptist posture that, that you talked about mm-hmm. earlier. But for me, I'm certainly not going to strap on a rifle and patrol the Mexican border, keeping immigrants out in the name of God. That is, which some people do. That is wrong. That is not what the Bible says. I'm not going to vote for a law, say on a referendum that, you know, keeps keeps immigrants out or, or vote for a political candidate who pledges to, to be anti-immigrant. Like, Sean, when you're talking about the default heart setting, you can um, translate that on a national policy scale to, to think, at least I can in my heart, to, to think I'm not supposed to be anti-immigration. I'm supposed to love people. Mm-hmm. And loving people does not mean supporting laws or supporting people who are trying to keep people out of the country. And at the end of the day, if you trust God, then you trust God will provide for you. Right. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is that America is not a country that follows the Bible. There are people in America that follow the Bible, but the country, the, the legislation is not, well, the Bible says it, therefore we should do mm-hmm. it. And there are a lot of non-Christians in America. And so when it comes to policy, that's where it gets really complicated for sure. me mm-hmm. because I don't want to force my Christian morals on somebody who doesn't accept the Bible. And there are a lot of even Christians yeah. that would say, well, that's nice that's what the Bible says, but this is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And That's what I want to push back against. Yeah. That's what I want to be clear about, that if you call yourself a Christian, you really have to examine your heart when it comes to these issues and, and examine the Scripture. Are you a citizen of the United States, or are you a citizen of the kingdom of God? And you can be both, but one supersedes the other. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the teachings in the Bible, it's very clear what the Bible's position is on immigration, on refugees, and on radical love and loving people. Uh, if you're listening to this and you are fuming mad at us, and you, and you think we're just a bunch of leftist, pinko, communist liberals, <laughs> first of all, that's just Dan. The rest of us are... <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But um, for, first of all, I'll speak for myself. I'm not wed to any political ideology, okay? I'm wed to the scripture. And if you want to make a scriptural case that pushes back against what we've said here, please do so. Mm. You know, maybe we'll even have you on where you can, where you can argue your point, okay? But if, if, you, if you do disagree, I don't, I don't believe I'm infallible. Rose, do you believe you're infallible? Uh, I'm on the way. Pretty close. What about you, Just Dan? Kidding. <laughs> I'm probably a little better than Rose, so uh-huh. yeah, I'm pretty close as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, we are fallible. Right. Completely. We, we, are very we can make mistakes. Yes. We get it wrong sometimes. And look, we could be wrong. Like Martin Luther said at the Diet of Worms, show us from Scripture and plain reason, and we will recant. I just went church history right now. That was good. But, um, as you always do, at least once per episode. <laughs> Our desire is to know the Bible as well as we can and to be as serious about it as right. we can. We don't authentic. have agendas that we're trying to use the Bible to support. We are yeah. trying um, to read the Bible honestly and draw our priorities directly from that, not from any anything that the culture is doing. And we're also trying to engage with people that listen to us. We don't want to we don't want to turn anybody off politically, biblically. So, you know, it, as Sean said, if you're fuming mad, you know, let's talk about it. Leave a comment. Let's have a discussion. Like, you know, this is a community that we're trying to build of people that are interested in in learning how to live by the Bible, by what it says in the modern world, in the modern era. Thank you so much, guys. Um, Our conversation has been seeking to know how we can 
um, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves um, and living out Christ authentically in this generation. Please join the conversation, um, share your thoughts, um, search the scriptures, and, and seek to know better God's heart and God's will for us. I'm going to say goodbye in Arabic today. Wadan. Well, I hope that conversation was helpful to you. And if you would like to get in touch or drop a comment, please visit restitudio.org and find Offscript episode 28, Seeking a Christian View on Refugees and Immigrants, and you can leave your remark there. Just a couple of things before I close out this episode. One is that, I don't know if you noticed, there was this movie, Case for Christ, based on the book by Lee Strobel, and I just wanted to encourage you that if you can see this movie, that you do see this movie. I don't even know if it's still out in the theaters, but... Once it comes out on DVD or Redbox, wherever you could get it, you have to watch this movie. It's just phenomenal. It's classic Christian apologetics for the resurrection of Jesus. There's no theological funny business in this movie. It's very well done. It's got dramatic elements. If you're more interested in the analytical side of things, you will be satisfied. If you're interested in the more emotional side of things, you'll be satisfied. Essentially, the story goes like this. Lee Strobel is a reporter, investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune in the 80s, and his wife suddenly becomes a Christian. He freaks out and tries to disprove Christianity using his investigative journalism skills to make a case against Christ and ends up getting hemmed in by the evidence and becoming a Christian himself. So it's really a well-done film. I highly recommend it, and... We had a couple of comments. I posted this on Rest Studio. I don't know if you subscribe to the emails, but I posted a little trailer and a review of the movie, which you could check out at Rest Studio. But Valerie Fitzsimmons remarked, cool, thanks for the review. I wasn't sure if we wanted to see this movie or not. Now I know we will. Well, Valerie, you are not going to be disappointed. Also, Kate Jeffries says, awesome. I just heard this film being promoted on the radio, being released on May 4th in Australia. And what, or should I say, Australia, and was really impressed by an interview they were having with Lee. Funny, because I actually thought to myself, hmm, I wonder what Sean and the Restitutio gang think about this one. So I jumped online and was pretty stoked when I saw this. Well, Kate, I don't know if that will ever, <laughs> that will ever happen again, but I'm glad that everything coincided so that I could uh, promote this at just the time you were looking to see what other people were thinking about it. Uh, once again, I highly recommend it. Check it out. Case for Christ, Lee Strobel. The movie is phenomenal. The book is hit or miss. There are some really excellent chapters in the book, and then there's some others that have major theological flaws, but the movie is phenomenal. Also, if you are anywhere near Atlanta, Georgia, this May, maybe we can meet up. I'm going to be attending the theological conference that Restoration Fellowship puts on each year. That's Anthony Buzzard's organization, and that's going to be May 18th, 19th, 20th, and 21st in Hampton, Georgia, at the Calvin Center in Hampton, Georgia. So it'd be great to see you there. I know a bunch of folks do go to this conference every year. I'm looking forward to seeing them, but if you haven't been before, uh, you can get more information at theologicalconference.org. And I don't know if registration is still open or not, but they might let you still slide in there. I'm not sure. You'd have to negotiate with them. But I'm looking forward to seeing a bunch of you there. And stay tuned for a new series that I'm going to be rolling out here at Rest Studio 
on Thursdays running my Kingdom of God class. So that's 15 episodes, and it's a comprehensive view of not only what the Bible teaches about the Kingdom of God in all its various dimensions, but also how the church throughout history lost the Kingdom message and then recovered it. So stay tuned for that, and we'll see you next time. Remember, the truth has nothing to fear.